0: Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Vince Olson. I serve as shepherding deacon, and I sing in our uh, chancel choir. Let us now prepare our hearts for worship, as we bow our hearts, heads to the prayer of invocation. All powerful God, we invoke your presence among us, for we need the knowledge and the energy that you alone can provide. Your ways are wonderful beyond our understanding. When our strength is spent, our vision clouded, and our hope gone, you reach out to us in ways we often fail to discern. We take heart to think that you are calling us to yourself, opening our eyes to see your wonders as if for the first time. We want to be part of your faithful remnant in a world that too often loses sight of the holy. Help us, we pray. Let us praise God through our worship.
1: If you are able, please stand for call to worship. Today to call ourselves to worship, we join the Psalmist saying, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. May God continue to bless us. Let all the ends of the earth revere him. Let us worship God.
2: The proof of God's amazing love is this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because we have faith in him, we dare to approach God with confidence. In faith and penitence, let us confess our sin before God and one another. We confess, O God, that our lives have made of you a distant deity. We listen to what others say about you but we have seldom glimpsed for ourselves who you are. We are dominated by our doubts instead of by our practice of prayer. We are not ready to repent in dust and ashes, but we do ask for mercy as we face up to sins we have not recognized and wrongdoing we have tried to ignore. Instill in us a new appreciation of righteousness and help us to grow in the way you would have us go. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the good news. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross and we might, so that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ. Let us affirm what we believe with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. And now as the children come forward, let us exchange the peace of God with one another. Peace be with you.
3: Gosh, I love that song.
4: I'm always afraid that they're going to turn my mic on just a little bit too early, but it all tends to work out. First, before we get started, my name is Miss Sarah, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit about what Pastor Steve is going to be talking about later in today's sermon. But before that, I can't help but notice that it seems like some of our friends here today are ready for the chili cook off, right? <laughs> Don't forget chili cook-off this Wednesday. I love your hats, cowgirls and cowboy. <laughs> but I am here this morning to talk to you a little bit about something that I think happens to all of us, but I just want to be check with you to see if I'm right about that. Have any of you, and you can raise your hands, have any of you ever had a bad day? <laughs> you- there's a couple, like, no, solid, never had a bad day. I'm, I'm cheering for you. But for most of us, it's true, right? Well, Pastor Steve is going to read something a little bit later about a fellow named Job. And Job had a bad day. Actually, he had a lot of bad days. And it got me thinking, as I was thinking about Job, about one of my very favorite books when I was your age. Does anyone know this book here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A couple of you, it's called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. All right. Alexander has a day that starts with him getting gum in his hair because he went to sleep with it in his mouth, so that's a lesson for us all. But he has just one terrible thing happen after another he goes to the dentist and he has cavities and they don't have the kind of shoes he wants and it just goes on and on and on so he starts to threaten his mother he says what does he say can you read this here to me this This line right here honey i
3: think i'll move to australia
4: i think i'll move to australia he figures (laughs) if he just lived somewhere else and he wouldn't have a bad day but what does his mom tell him in the end? Does anyone remember the end of the story? What his mom tells him at the end of his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? Do you want to read it? No. Oh, she says this here. What? this one? hmm My mom says some days are like that. Hold on.
1: Even in Australia. Even
4: in Australia, right? We all have hard days. It's part of being human, but the really good news, it's good news to know that we all have bad days. That makes me feel a little bit better, but the great news comes from the book of Job, and it's this. Job talks to God through the whole book of Job, and God listens God hears what Job is saying when he's angry, when he's sad, when he doesn't understand what's happening. God wants to hear it all. And we know that when we have terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, we can talk to God too. All right? So will you pray with me? Let us pray loving God, we're so grateful for the ways that you listen to us and care for us when we're having terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Help us to always talk to you when we're feeling gloomy. Amen. Thanks, friends.
5: Well, I am having a really good day today. (laughs) in the wake of another Michigan victory. (laughs) And I should just shut up right there because we play Michigan State next week and it may be a very different story. So we are so glad that you're with us today and we are thankful that we can be together as the people of God and to know of God's presence and we hope that you will find this to be a place of welcome, especially if you are a relatively new visitor with us today, that you might know that we are glad that you're here and we hope that we can find ways by which to include you in other parts of the life of our church. If you'd like to learn more about membership in the church, just talk to Dr. Brown and she will be Glad to give you your own personal private tutorial on membership here at Church of the Palms. We have lots of things to look forward to, especially this Wednesday evening. The high and holy chili cook off will be this. Wednesday evening and uh, we would love to have you come and enjoy some wonderful chili cooked by our own people here at Church of the Palms. We would love to know if you would like to add your recipe to the mix. Just reach out again to Mingy and she would be glad to put you on the list. You do not have to sign up to come. So if you get the urge for chili on Wednesday afternoon at five o'clock come straight over to the Campus Center and they will be glad to welcome you. And that begins at what time, Minky? She's not listening to me. Okay. Story of my life. All right, so somewhere around 6.30 or so, you come over to the Campus Center. And we will be glad to have you. We have uh, looking forward to a special, special service. Many of you have participated online with our Taze services, and we are looking forward to having an in-person Taze service on November the 5th at 6.30, Friday, November 5th at 6.30 over in the chapel. So come and join us for that. It's a very a wonderful, intimate, uh, meditative time of worship. We would love to have you join us for that. And then on November the 10th, we have a wonderful annual event for us, which is Rise Against Hunger, an intergenerational event, both students, children, families, adults, older adults can come and be a part of of the chance for us to put together, I think it's 10,000 meals in one night. For those that are hungry and so we would love for you to participate with us in that mark your calendars november the 10th and then uh, the next sunday november 14th we've been talking about homecoming sunday what a great moment for the church to be returning little by little from its uh covid hibernation and we would love for you to join us for that and especially be thinking of people you haven't yet seen in church that you're used to seeing this is the occasion for you to reach out Find out how they're doing and then perhaps even to extend them an invitation to come and join us on Homecoming Sunday, which will be a very special moment. Also, the week before, on November the 7th, we will have our All Saints Day uh, time of remembrance, and we would love to hear from you. If there are people in your life that you would like included on that list, not only church members, but people dear to you, we will make sure to include them on that list as we remember those who have passed away over this past year, just this past year. So keep that in your mind and let us know. And if you look in your bulletin, you will see an insert, and the insert includes the names and pictures of those who have most recently joined our church, and some of them are worshiping here, some are worshiping in other services, but we're just going to call their names. And if you happen to be here right now, we would love for you to stand as I call your name and remain standing so that we can welcome you. Leslie Gillis is way up there in the balcony. Stand up, Leslie. Good to have you here. Ken Hickson. Is Ken? here maybe at the there he is wonderful and Kimberly and Annabelle and Michael Romalo I believe way back there in the back pew and then also David and Susan Schubring right there so would you give them a round of applause and welcome them to our life yay We are grateful that we get to share in our mission with you of loving God and loving neighbor and hope that you will come to rely upon us as your brothers and sisters in Christ as we seek to do that which God has called us to do in the world. Let us continue our worship.
6: Amen. Let us pray. All-powerful, all-loving God, merciful and mighty, eternally present and graciously close, we turn our hearts to you as a people who so desperately need your healing presence in our lives. Help us to see you, O Lord, in a child's tiny hand, in a gift offered, a meal delivered, a timely phone call, in the quiet loyalty of a spouse, or a tutor, or a good friend, or a family member. Help us to read those signs of your presence that are harder to detect, our own inner turmoil that leads to greater trust in you, disturbances that keep nudging us to move forward, relationships that are puzzling, glimpses of good judgment in the life of a struggling teen or young adult, a wise word from an aging adult. Prompted by your spirit and encouraged by your faithfulness, we lift to you the cares and concerns of our hearts, the burdens and the worries of our lives. We pray, merciful God, that all who are sick would be healed, that those broken in mind, body, and spirit would be mended. We lift up all who are grieving, Comfort them, O God, and infuse them with a peace that passes all understanding. As we look out at the world, merciful God, we know there are people in countries who are suffering from hunger, COVID, and economic uncertainty because of corruption in their government. We especially lift up the people of Haiti who are crippled and terrified by the influence of gangs. Hear our prayers, O Lord, for the people of Myanmar and Brazil and Nicaragua and Honduras. May your light shine among the people and may a great awakening come to the leaders who can affect a positive change. We pray for our school children and their parents, for the teachers and administrators that we might once again have a calm and peaceful environment for learning and growing. Help us, Lord, to reflect your image in all of the encounters we face in our communities and neighborhoods. We give you thanks, oh God, for the new members you have brought into our family. Thank you for Ken, for Leslie, for Dave and Sue, for Kimberly and Michael, and their twins, Annabelle and Michael. May they all know more and more of your great love through worshiping and serving with this congregation. We pray for the men and women who are serving as missionaries, as frontline responders, as well as those in our armed forces. Keep them safe, strengthen and encourage their families, and fill them all with your light and love. Finally, O Lord, we pray for your justice to come in every place, so that a lasting peace can be born, so that every person feels valued without regard to position or power or education or color of skin or anything except the fact that we are human and you have called us and you have indeed called everyone by name. All this we ask in the name of your Son and our Savior who taught us to pray, our Father, Friends, during our moment of gratitude, we have the opportunity to pause and reflect on all that we have been given by a good and gracious God. It is at this time that we worship God by giving back just a portion to Him. Baskets are by the doors as you leave, and of course, there's a a lot of ways that you can give online. I pray that God fills us all with a spirit of generosity, abundance, and adventure. While empowering us to provide food and necessities, companionship, and compassion for all people, let us generously and joyfully worship God with our tithes and our offering.
1: Let us pray. God of abundance, grace, we give you thanks for this privilege to participate in your work of love in ministries and missions. We pray that you'll accept these, our morning offerings and tithings, for the work of your kingdom near and far. For we bring them to you in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, amen.
5: of Job chapter 42 verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that which I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Paul writes and says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for us, all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? And who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us? And who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. One of the scripture lessons read this morning comes from the book of Job. The book of Job can be found pretty close to the middle of your Bible, and it is found in a section of biblical literature called wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature of the Bible is literature that wonders at the meaning and purpose of life and repeatedly asks the question, what is God up to? Why do things happen the way they do? Why do the wicked prosper, and why do the bad things happen to good people? Wisdom literature is filled with prayers and poetry and philosophical rumination. In the wisdom literature, you hear that the Lord is your shepherd that you shall not want. You hear that all is vanity. You hear that to everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And as I said, you also find within it the story of Job, Job is a really, really long story that is broken into three parts. The first part tells us about the man named Job, whose life has been very fortunate. He has received many things, a loving wife, a house full of kids, a Texas-sized ranch, plenty of livestock, a good bit of money, and a fully funded pension plan. Job, as I said, is fortunate. Life has been very good to him. Now, also in the first part of this story of Job, the camera shifts up to the heavens, and it is imagined that God has convened his heavenly council, a member of which is Satan, or the accuser, as it reads in the Hebrew, and God and the accuser get talking about Job. And God takes great delight in Job and how a good and righteous and obedient servant Job is. And the accuser says, well, duh, no wonder he's such a God's guy. Look at all his fortune. Easy to be a God's guy when you're flush with cash and you got a healthy family and you got no troubles. But but the accuser says, let me Adam. Let me change the scenario. Let me strip him of all that he cherishes. And let's see how much of a God's guy this guy really is. And God says, go ahead. And the accuser goes ahead and strips Job of everything, his wife, that his family, his home, and including his own health. And part one ends with Job's wife saying to him, why don't you just curse God and die? A motivational speaker she was not. Part two of the story of Job is this 40-chapter poem where Job and his so-called friends try to sort out all of what has happened. And the friends surmise that the reason this has happened is that Job must have done something wrong. As we learned last week from Dr. LaRue, there were many who believed that fortune was tied to good behavior. Fortune was a sign of God's pleasure. So God must not be happy, these friends say. That seems to be their answer. And Job is not pleased with this answer. So he turns his anger and his questioning to God and demands of God an explanation. This whole idea of the patience of Job couldn't be further from the truth. That's part two. Part three of the story is what many scholars believe to be perhaps a later addendum to the story where after all this poetic questioning and explaining and wondering and doubting, all of a sudden Job's fate is reversed and he is showered with a new chapter of fortune, new house, new family, new ranch, new cattle, new 401k, all live happily ever after. Now the lesson I just read this morning is from the end of part two, and it's at the end of part two where after Job has challenged God and demanded an answer about why life has so severely turned against him, God answers Job out of the whirlwind and basically says to Job, you have no idea what you're asking. God starts all this by saying, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Where are you when I lay the foundations of the earth? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? And that's just the start of God's interrogation of Job. So after all this severe cross-examination, Job has one last little response and it is these first six verses that we just read which are Job's last words to God and this again is what he says. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted therefore I have uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me which I did not know I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eyes see you therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let us pray. O God, your word is rich and deep and mysterious and challenging. By your mercy and through your grace, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Jack Benny, that great theologian, was in Hollywood accepting an award and in accepting the award said this, I don't deserve this award, but then again, I have arthritis and I don't deserve that either. (laughs) Are you aware of the ledger of life? Are you aware that when looked at a certain way, life can take on the look of an Excel spreadsheet? That, that life is filled with its fortunes and its misfortunes. That you can kind of make out your life sometimes in two columns, the, the plus column and the minus column. A lot of people use this method to make a decision. What are the pluses and minuses if I say yes? What are the pluses and minuses if I say no? People, when they look back on their lives, can see the good things and they can see the bad things. They see the ups, they see the downs. Like a stock market graph, the line shoots up, the line shoots down, and you hope the overall trend is reaching higher. Now, some people take a look at the ledger of life and see in it reasons to believe that wherever they have ended up, it has been the result either of their own wisdom, their own smarts, their own hard work, or it has been the result of their foolishness, their stupidity, and their laziness. In whichever case, life is seen as one of these big profit and loss statements, and you better hope that the ink at the bottom is black and not red. And the challenge when you live life that way is that you are vulnerable to a distorted view of reality. You are vulnerable to seeing your life in one column or in the other. One ink or the other. Winner, loser. Pat myself on the back, beat myself over the head. But life is not that simple, right? Sometimes life is bigger than that. Sometimes things happen that you can't understand. Sometimes events unfold that you have no control over. Sometimes you get an award, you don't deserve. And sometimes you get a disease, you don't deserve. Some things happen that don't fit the columns, don't compute on an Excel spreadsheet. I once knew a man who had been to war. And in the war, he had been in battle, several battles. And in those battles, he had men on his right and men on his left, friends on his right and friends on his left, who had been felled by bullets, torn apart by bombs, dismembered by grenades. But he was the one who came home. He was the one whose worst wound was a cut from his own knife. And for decades, he would not speak about that war. He would not speak about his battles. He would not speak about his fortune. He would not speak about their misfortune, largely because life would not fit into a spreadsheet. It could not be explained. His fortune sat right alongside their misfortune. His life sat right alongside their death. His plus alongside their minus, and it wouldn't add up, and he could take no credit and he could not understand, why me and why them? Sometimes life gets too big. C.S. Lewis, the great apologist of the faith, the great reasoner of why we believe what we believe, waited a long time to find the love of his life. It took to his 50s to find her, and he courted her, and fell in love with her, and married her. This old fumbling bachelor had been graced by a loving wife who, within a couple of years of falling in love with her, was diagnosed with cancer, and within a couple of years after that, breathed her last in his loving arms. In the wake of her death and in the depths of his grief, Lewis wrote this, Where is God? This question is one of the most disquieting symptoms of my sadness. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing God, so happy that you are tempted to feel God's claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. This from one of the most profound Christian writers of the 20th century. Sometimes life gets too big. Life will take us to heights we never knew could be ascended, love we never knew could be felt, happiness we never knew could be experienced, and lows to which we never thought we could descend. Some of it sometimes we deserve, like the D plus I got on my exam I had not studied for, but most of it for something we often don't deserve, like the B plus on the exam I had not studied for. So the ledger does not add up for our good friend Job. Fortune had come in spades, now misfortune had come with a vengeance and now life was too big. It had overflowed its banks and it was flooding his spirit and as he felt himself slipping under the rising pain, the only thing Job knew to do was to cry out, to cry out. This relationship with God in the good is now a relationship with God in the bad and Job had to ask the hard question about the meaning of it all. And of course, the meaning of it all is in the questioning and in the crying. The meaning of it all is in the demand for an answer. The meaning of it all is in the relationship with the one that you believe is on the other side of the conversation, the relationship with God in the good and the relationship with God in the bad. When when God answers Job out of the whirlwind, he spends a good bit of his Socratic questioning pointing out to Job all the good that Job cannot see. When, When life was good, he couldn't quite see the bad. When life is bad, now he can't quite see the good. The goodness and majesty and difficulty that has always been there, though we never quite to appreciate it, the beauty we do not deserve and the pain we do not deserve. The meaning of life begins with the one who laid the foundations of the earth and commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that the meaning of life begins with the one who was knitting us together in our mother's womb, gave us our brains and our hearts and our souls, the one who was responsible for what little or large IQ we possess, the one who sends a granddaughter running into our laps and a bald eagle hovering over our path, and that this world of fortune we give our eyes to see is also a world of misfortune where bad and unlucky things take place and we can't make sense of them and we're not to make sense of them. And like Job we say, I utter what I do not understand and I do not know that which is too wonderful for me. So when our friend C.S. Lewis continued to write out of his deep despair and grief And has he, like Job, continued to cry out the deep questions of life, the why, the how, finally found himself at a point in his relationship of God with God in the bad, and he writes, when I lay these questions before God, I get no answer, but instead sort of a no answer. It's not the locked door, it's more like a silent compassionate gaze as though God shook his head not in refusal but in waving the question as if God were saying peace child you do not understand which I suppose explains why the good book tells us that at the end of it all, Job repented. Repented not of some grievous sin against God, not not even of asking the questions, but repented of his demand to know as God, demanding answers not meant for him. Maybe that's where the apostle found himself as he too wondered about the life that had gotten too big for him, wondering about the grace that he did not deserve and the hardship he had not deserved. What what are we to make of this river that so often overflows his spanks? And with Paul, the meaning of it all was found not in some grand philosophical maxim or some pithy bumper sticker, but instead in the relationship, in the love of the one who brought us into being. And for Paul, the love of the one that brought him into a new being the love that brings both the joy and the grief the pleasure and the pain what then are we to ask, say to such things, Paul asked, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, in Christ Jesus our Lord, the one who set the world into motion and the one who steps into the hardship and the persecution and the peril and the sword, the one who loves us in good times and especially in bad times, the one who takes us to the heights of grace and mercy and walks with us in the valley of despair. Not to answer the question, but to answer what most we need, the need to know that despite it all, we are still loved. And from that love, nothing shall separate us.